الحمد لله الحمد لله رب العالمين والصلاة والسلام على أشرف الأنبياء والمرسلين وعلى آله وأصحابه أجمعين ما بعد فعوذ بالله من الشيطان الرجيم بسم الله الرحمن الرحيم إن أول بيت وضع للناس الذي ببكة مباركة وهدى للعالمين صدق الله العالم العظيم my dear respected and most honorable elders, beloved brothers and sisters in Islam, Assalamu alaikum wa rahmatullahi wa barakatuhu. First of all, we begin by thanking Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, by glorifying and praising Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala for enabling us with this unique opportunity to congregate in His house, to worship Him, to glorify Him, to send salutations upon His Messenger sallallahu alayhi wa sallam. And we pray that Allah Azza wa Jal will continue to facilitate such opportunities for us in the future, insha'Allah. We're in a very blessed time right now, a very blessed moment right now. For a few precious days and nights, we participate in one of the greatest annual events in human history. We complete rituals that go back not only to the time of the Prophet Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam 1400 years ago but beyond that to the time of Ibrahim Alayhi Salatu Wasalam the known as the father of monotheism back to Ibrahim Alayhi Salatu Wasalam and even further back towards the time of Adam Alayhi Salam during these momentous days uh, the pilgrims, the hujjaj will gather at the house, they'll remove all outer signs of nationality, of wealth, of social status, of, uh, of everything that they have, everything that is normal for them. Everyone will remove and wear those two same sheets of cloth, very simple. And starting from the miqat, they will begin their talbiyah, saying, Labbaik, Allahumma labbaik. Here I am, my Lord, here I am. Uh, as if to affirm the covenant that they once took with Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, when Allah azza wa jal said to us all in the land of souls, that am I not your Lord? And we said, of course, of course you are. So this is, this is a beautiful and momentous occasion and it's a our Hajj is a response to that call that, that we made to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala in the land of souls. We do the tawaf, we make the tawaf, we, we circumambulate the Kaaba, we drink from the well of Zamzam and historically, you know, the story of Zamzam, you will know it, it's beautiful, it's magnificent. We, we walk between Safa and Marwa, right? We walk between the two mountains and at a point we rush between the two mountains, right? Going back again to the story of, of the wife of Ibrahim, Hajar, and his son, Ismail, when they were left in Mecca. You know, this, the starting of civilization in Mecca from that time to this, to this day, that well continues to provide sustenance, continues to provide water for the pilgrims, for those who come to visit 
the house. We stand on the plains of Arafah and we beg Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala for his mercy and for his forgiveness. We go to Jabal Rahmah, the mount of mercy where Adam, our father, Adam alayhi salam, prayed to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala and sought his forgiveness. We too seek Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala's forgiveness and ask him to have mercy upon us. You know, at Mina uh, and Muzdalifa, we, we throw stones at the, the Jamarat. It's an outer expression of our inner resolve to reject the shaitan, to reject everything that the Satan stands for and to turn back, to retreat towards Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. So it's a beautiful, momentous occasion. However, I'm not going to talk, it's impossible for me to encapsulate the entirety of the Hajj in 20, 25 minutes or half an hour. It's absolutely impossible. So I'm going to focus on one aspect of this journey that each and every one of us can learn from, that we all need to be aware of. And perhaps this is one of the lessons that, that can be learned today. Like I said, there are many lessons to be learned from the experience, from the journey as a whole. And we can focus on many different aspects. But there's one particular aspect that, that, uh, that if we were to act upon it, it will get rid or break down so many of our social barriers that we have. Islam is the universal message of peace, the universal message of acceptance, the universal message of tolerance. It's a religion that sent, set the, the benchmark for race relations. It's the religion that uh, tore down racial barriers on, on, on racial superiority for generations to come. And inshallah, for the next 20 or so minutes, I'm going to focus how Islam deals with race in light of the problems that we're experiencing here today in Western Europe. I mean, throughout Europe, race is an issue that is, has been highlighted more and more. If we look at the problems that America is experiencing with the events that took place in Charlottesville, uh, race is at the forefront of all of that. And it hasn't been, it's not just now, it's been brewing for a long period of time. Uh, and inshallah, we're going we're gonna to look at the Hajj. We're going to look at how this journey breaks down those barriers for us and exemplified the Islamic teachings of tolerance towards everyone and acceptance of all colors, all races, all backgrounds, irrespective of who you are. And we're going to look at how the Prophet ﷺ so passionately at the end of the eighth year of Hijrah when the Prophet ﷺ made the Hajj himself, his first, his one and only Hajj when the Prophet said, all of mankind is from Adam and Eve. All of mankind is from Adam. No Arab has superiority over a non-Arab. No non-Arab has superiority 
over an arrow. In another version of that khutbah, the final sermon, the Prophet ﷺ said, no red or white has superiority over black, and no black has superiority over white. There is no superiority except with taqwa, except with righteousness. Those who are forefront in that, those individuals who worship Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala and do their jihad and strive in his path, they are the ones who are superior, superior over others. So superiority is only in terms of righteousness. We're going to look at how the Prophet wasallam in that final khutbah, he set the benchmark for many of the constitutions that we have on human rights today. Even if we look at the constitution, the Declaration of Independence in, uh, in America, it's taken from some of these Islamic principles. You know, not, you, you're not going to afflict, nor are you going to suffer from inequality. The Prophet said this. The Prophet exemplified the teachings of the Quran when the Quran says, that indeed the believers are but brothers. You're all one community. And before we talk about that, when we talk about race relations and when we talk about differences in culture, differences in nationality, differences in appearance, and when we discuss race relations in light of Islam, it's important that we look at the, the, the standing of honor and human dignity or what Islam has to say, what the Quran and Sunnah of the Prophet have to say when it comes to honor and, uh, and dignity. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala in chapter 17 verse 70 states in the Quran, وَلَقَدْ كَرَّمْنَا بَنِي آدَمِ That we have certainly honored the children of Adam. The great Imam Alama Alusi, rahimahullah ta'ala, he says, he states in the tafsir of this ayah, which goes on to say, All of humanity is endowed with dignity, nobility, and honor. Every single human being, every single creation of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala has been ennobled. Every single creation of Allah by mere fact that it is a creation of Allah has honor and has nobility but out of all of the creations of Allah human beings man and woman have been given superiority over all and Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala has blessed them abundantly and blessed them and honored them in a way that he has honored no other creation of his. The Prophet Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam Excuse me The Prophet Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam exemplified that teaching. The Prophet Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam spoke about that in great detail. The Prophet Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam informed us that to dishonor and strip away at the dignity of a human being is among the worst of crimes. 
The Prophet ﷺ told us that to discriminate on the basis of race or uh, nationality or ethnicity is to rob an individual of the very birthright that we have. So when Islam says this, and when Islam clearly distinguishes the path and lights up the way for us and tells us how we should behave and tells us, informs us how we should interact with, with one another, why then, I ask, are we so intolerant? How can we possibly call ourselves Muslims when we discriminate so indiscriminately? When we look at the Hajj and we'll take the ritual of the Hajj for an example and try to learn something from it, we can learn something, we can learn from it the way the great Malcolm X, Rahimahullah Ta'ala, learnt from it. And who was Malcolm X? Malcolm X, uh, also known as Al-Hajj Malik al-Shabazz, he was a famous uh, African-American activist who struggled with the problem of race in, in America. And his struggles are well known. Uh, if those of you who haven't read his autobiography, it's one of the uh, great books uh, published uh, in America. And he, at first, in order to, to counter the problem of race, he adopted a path of, of extremism, a path of intolerance, where he felt that he needed to be aggressive in his pursuit of, of, of freedom and justice. And in order to counter the, the white supremacy uh, and the problems that he was experiencing, he felt that he needed to be aggressive in that pursuit. But yet when he made his, his journey and his pilgrimage to, to Mecca, it changed his heart. And it completely gave him a, a different, a new perspective on how to deal with these issues. Because it's the first time he saw Islam. And he saw Islam for what it is, this beautiful religion. Now, prior to that, he'd been in the nation of Islam, follower of, the, uh, of, of, of Elijah Muhammad, who believe in a prophet after the Prophet ﷺ and therefore are not Muslims. But when he went to Mecca and he learned and he saw the, the, the Muslims for the first time and he saw people of different race, race, races of of different backgrounds, all coming together in two simple pieces of cloth to worship Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, it brought about change in him. And he wrote a letter back. Uh, for those of you who haven't read that letter, um, I'm going to read it out to you actually very quickly, to his friends in, in Harlem. And, and this is what he said. He said, America needs to understand Islam because this is the one religion that erases from its society the racial problem. Throughout my travels in the Muslim world, I have met, talked to, and even eaten with people who in America would have been considered white. But the white attitude was removed from their minds by the religion of Islam. I have never before seen sincere and true brotherhood practiced by all colors together, irrespective of their color. During the past 11 days here in the Muslim world, I have eaten from the same plate, drunk from the same glass, 
and slept on the same rug while praying to the same God with fellow Muslims whose eyes were the bluest of blue, whose hair was the blondest of blonde, and whose skin was the whitest of white. And in the words and in the deeds of the white Muslims, I felt the same sincerity that I felt among the black African-American Muslims of Nigeria, Sudan and Ghana. We were truly all the same because their belief in one God had removed the white from their minds, the white from their behavior and the white from their attitude. I could see from this that perhaps if white Americans could accept the oneness of God, then perhaps too they could accept in reality the oneness of man and cease to measure and hinder and harm others in terms of their differences in color. That was Malcolm X in his letter from, from Mecca. And this is, this is truly profound considering uh, the individual that Malcolm X was and how um, extreme he was in, in terms of, uh, of, of countering racism in America. And someone like him who goes to Mecca and he sees all of this. And he's, his beliefs were very, he, he, they weren't bordering extreme. They were extreme, extreme. He believed that the white man was the devil. Because he felt that, you know, he, he felt his people had been imprisoned for centuries, uh, imprisoned by slavery. And he saw the white man as evil, the white man as the cause for all of their problems. But when he went to Mecca and he went to the Hajj and he saw people, white people from all over the world, he saw black people from all over the world and he saw them come together and eat together and travel together worship together and that made him understand that the world isn't black and white that made him appreciate the oneness of Allah the beauty of Allah's creation and it's something that changed his mind and it, it, it stripped him of his uh, insecurities it stripped him of his um, of his in intolerances and that's the difference. That's something that we can learn from when in the state of Ihram, you know, we don't see the distinction of rich and poor. Nobody has, a, you know, when you go to Hajj, your two pieces of cloth are not better than my two pieces of cloth. And my two pieces of cloth are not better than somebody else's two pieces of cloth. You know, it's not as if mine are designer or yours are designer, you know, some Gucci Ihram or, or, or something or some, you know, that's not the case. It's the same two pieces of cloth, right? Because value is stripped down. Because in our mind, what we, uh, the price that we have of value and of, uh, of 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 social standing, of superiority, is all stripped away from us. You're nobody right now. You're all equal. You're all equal. Each and every one of you, a king, a pauper, it doesn't matter. You're all equal in the eyes of Allah. All of you are. And this is beautiful. No other religion symbolizes uh, that better than, than, than Islam. And especially in the state of Ihram, when you're stripped of all of your outer pretensions and you see that the inner human being, the inner human being shines through. That's the essential human being. And that's ultimately the only thing that matters. One of the manasik, the rituals of the Umrah and the Hajj is the Sa'i between the two hills of, of Safa and Marwa. 
which is the commemoration of, of our great mother, Hajar or Hajira, uh, the wife of Ibrahim alayhi salam, who ran in search of water for uh, her son, Ismail. You know, when, when we talk about race relations, it's important to note you know, these great personalities in history and who they were, because we have those issues as well. We, you know, we can say as much as we want that we have no such thing as racism in, in Muslim communities, but it's not true. We can say that there's no racism in Islam. That's absolutely 100% true. But there is racism. Racism does exist in Muslim communities. We are still, we still have those, uh, uh, those intolerances. And we still do fall into racism. And we still do discriminate against one another based upon the color of our skins or the place the geographical area that we're from or our background is uh, on this earth. Hajra or Hajr, both of them are, are, are names that have been described or used for her. She was a dark-skinned woman who was a mother and only desired that she find some water for her, for her child. When we look at the companions of the Prophet وسلم, and because of her example, Allah elevated the, 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 the symbols and made her an example for, for all of uh, eternity. When we look at the, the companions of the Prophet وسلم, and when you judge and uh, others based upon the color of their skin, look at the example set forth by the Prophet وسلم, when people used to, indis, used to discriminate in the time of the Prophet وسلم, when they took great pride in their lineage and were Arabs, were from the noblest of tribes. The Prophet وسلم, tore that down. The Prophet وسلم, established social justice. The Prophet وسلم, taught them that racism has absolutely no place in Islam. The Prophet ﷺ never gave superiority of one group of people over another based upon their lineage or their standing in society or the color of their skin. Never. The Prophet ﷺ, look at the example. I, I, I don't like to say it, in fact. We always use the example of Sayyidina Bilal. As if to say the Prophet ﷺ somehow used to uplift the, the, the uh, black people. That's just not the, the case. The Prophet ﷺ would never discriminate against anybody. We use the example of Bilal, but we could exactly in the same way we could use the example of Salman al-Farsi. Who was that you know, uh, blue-eyed Persian who was a white man? The Prophet ﷺ didn't think that he... He needs to um, either side with him or give him preference over somebody else or give somebody else preference over him. That was never the case. When people looked down upon black people, black people were considered slaves. And in the Arab world, they had absolutely no honor and no standing. The Prophet said to Bilal, Oh Bilal, I hear your footsteps in Jannah. The Prophet took Bilal and made him 
the Mu'addin. And he didn't, and don't for one moment think that the Prophet only did that because he, 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 was, he was a slave or a former slave. The Prophet did that because Bilal was Bilal. Bilal was a great companion of the Prophet And he had a beautiful voice, the Prophet gave, the honor, gave him the honor of doing the Adhan. When you look at the, the wet nurse of the Prophet who took care of him after his beloved mother passed away, Umm Ayman radiallahu ta'ala anha, and we look at the example of how she cared for the Prophet sallallahu accepted Islam when the Prophet sallallahu declared prophethood. And she lived with the Prophet sallallahu in the sense that she continued to serve him and care for him. The Prophet sallallahu got her married or arranged her, her marriage with, uh, with a great companion, Sayyidina Zayd ibn Haritha radiallahu ta'ala And they had a child called Usama ibn Zayd. And Usama was uh, again described as, as a dark-skinned child. He was the son of Umm Ayman, who was a woman who was a former slave from, from Abyssinia. And the Prophet ﷺ used to take uh, Usama and Al-Hasan ibn Ali, ta'ala anhumah, both of them. And he used to pick them up and he would say, Oh Allah, I love them, so you love them also. Prophet would never distinguish, he would never differentiate from the, the prince of, of Jannah, we, we call him, Imam al-Hassan, right? the leader of the youth of Jannah. He would never differentiate, and even though that was his own grandson, between him and Usama ibn Zayd, the Prophet had that love and affection for him. And that was then, uh, when the Prophet ﷺ passed away, that, that went down to Abu Bakr and Umar and Uthman and Ali. May Allah be pleased with all of them. They all had that same level of love and affection for those whom the Prophet ﷺ had love and affection for. Look at the example that, that, that one of the great examples of the Prophet ﷺ was to tear down the ba barriers that people had in terms of race and and equality and, and superiority, they saw themselves as superior to over, over others. There's a narration <coughs> in Ibn Majah where the Prophet ﷺ, when he entered Mecca, victorious at the head of 10,000, on his right side, he had Sayyidina Bilal, and on his left, he had Sayyidina Usama ibn Zayd. The Prophet ﷺ, he wanted to show them people who had great or took great pride in their lineage and great pride in their heritage, the Prophet ﷺ was trying to tell them that look, the Quran tells us, Ya Yuhannas, inna khalakna kumin dakarin wa unfa, wa jaalna shuuban wa kabaila litaarafu, inna akramakum and Allahi atqaqum. That we split you, we made you into nations and tribes so that you may get to know one another. So you do your own ta'aruf. And the most noblest of you are the ones who are the most righteous. Not the ones who have uh, a particular color of skin or have a certain amount of honor and dignity in society. That's not the case. The most noblest are those of you who have the highest standing in terms of their worship 
in terms of their closeness and proximity to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. There are so many examples uh, in the hadith of the Prophet sallallahu where he discusses uh, lineage and heritage and something that the Arabs at the time took great pride in. And the Prophet sallallahu tore that down. The Prophet sallallahu established social justice and equality. Sayyidina Abu Dharr radiallahu ta'ala and he reports that the Prophet sallallahu once said and, and this is true Abu Dharr he said to him that there is no good in red skin and red skin was, was the white skin or black skin but rather only by virtue of righteousness this is in, in the Muslim of Imam Ahmad uh, rahimahullahu ta'ala that there is no superiority based upon the colour of your skin your superiority is based upon your actions and your proximity to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. In another hadith, the Prophet sallallahu said that indeed Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala has removed from you the pride of the time of ignorance, the pride of, uh, in the time of jahiliyyah, with its boasting of its ancestors. You know, I have, I'm from this family, from this tribe. My father was this man, whose father was that man. And purely based upon my lineage, that grants me superiority over the rest of you. That's ridiculous. That's absolutely ridiculous. That's rubbish. That just because of who my father was and who his father was and who his father was, I'm magically given superiority over you and I've done nothing to achieve it. That's ridiculous. The Prophet ﷺ tore down those barriers. Yet, unfortunately, we've gone back to those times that they exist today. For those of you from the Indian subcontinent, when you accepted Islam or when your forefathers accepted Islam, they left behind the religion of their ancestors, didn't they? They left behind Hinduism if they were Hindus. They left behind Sikhism if they were Sikhs. But yet we still kept some of those cultural uh, uh, intolerances. We still kept some of them. Cultural discriminations, we still kept some of them. And in fact, I believe that we kept the worst of them. When we look at the caste system that exists in Hinduism, we brought that into Islam. I am from this, you know, caste. I am Raja. I am Jat. I am, you know, you've heard of these. I am this. Doesn't matter. Among the Arabs, you'll have exactly the same thing. But Allah, I have seen it. People still take pride in their tribes and who their forefathers were. And they boast of them. And they think they're superior, superior over others because of them. This is unbelievable. Why do we do that? Is it because our, our religion tells us to? No. Our religion tells us we have nothing, our religion has nothing to do with racism. Our religion was the first religion. The Prophet wasallam tore down those barriers and learn from your history and learn about how your, 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 your racist intolerances and your discriminations against one another, how they came about. You know, the, the nations in which you take great pride, the countries in which you take great pride, the vast majority of those countries were created here in Western Europe. 
They were created here by men who had never been to those countries. And they took out a map after the collapse of the Ottoman Empire. And on that map, they created some lines. And they drew some lines and said, we'll give this to this group of people and that country to that group of people. And that's how these countries were created. What other countries in the world do you know that have a straight border? It's impossible for you to have a straight border. The earth is a sphere. You can't have a straight border. But they were created like that. To rile up people against one another. This, new, this concept of nationalism that only recently in the last hundred years has begun to, 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 to come to the fore. Nationalism has no place in Islam. We identify as Muslims, not as Muslims who are from whatever country in the world. I'm not going to name one. Don't, just because you're from a certain country or you speak a certain language, you are in no way superior over somebody else. And if you do feel like you're superior, then know that you're not acting upon your religion. Set an example, show others that Islam is a beautiful religion. Why? Because it's accepting of all. It accepts everybody. And when you do that, then people will see the beauty of it. Inshallah, we'll be continuing with this next week. For those of you uh, uh, who are coming in, please do move, move forward and fill these gaps in the middle, fill these gaps in front of you. If everybody can stand up and come forward, come together, inshallah, the, the brothers who are at the back, they'll be able to find some spaces. Um, we pray that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala grant me and you the tawfiq and the ability to act upon the teachings of the Quran and Sunnah of the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wa sallam.